Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. It's hard enough being a mom and the last thing you need is stress from too much stuff and an overcrowded schedule. For too long, I lived with the mindset that bigger was better and the more that I added to my life, instead of feeling better, I felt overwhelmed. It was time for a radical new mindset. Less is more. I'm not into extremes. I didn't throw everything away. My brand of minimalism is more about adding than subtracting. Get rid of the excess to make room for what you love. In other words, it's about living life with purpose. I hope you'll listen in as my guests and myself can inspire you to think more and do with less. According to the World Happiness Report, Danish people have consistently topped the charts as the happiest people on earth. But what makes them so happy? Could it be the way that they parent or were parented? In today's bonus episode, I am thrilled to speak with Ivan Sandow, author of the book, The Danish Way of Parenting, What the Happiest People in the World Know About Raising Confident, Capable Kids. As a professional parenting expert, psychotherapist, family counselor, teacher, and speaker, Iben has over 20 years of experience and insight into child psychology and education, which she expertly translates into the Danish way of practicing parenthood. In her book, Iben presents six essential principles that spell out parent, P-A-R-E-N-T, providing a practical and upbeat approach to raising happy, confident, and successful kids. So join us as we uncover the secrets of Danish parenting and learn how to incorporate the Danish way of parenting into our own lives. For those that are new around here, I release bonus episodes that serve a niche part of my audience. So if this topic doesn't fit what you're looking for, join me back here Tuesday for a conversation about decluttering the mind and your thoughts that you don't want to miss. Eben, thanks so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm happy to have you here to talk about the Danish way of parenting, how that might look a little bit different than the way we parent here in America. But before we get into our conversation, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? And do you consider yourself to be a minimalist? I would say, yes, I do. I think it can look different depending on how you understand it or how you put it into practice. So in the way, I would say that I am definitely. So I am a psychotherapist and I combine my knowledge in the therapeutic field with my pedagogical experience with children and young people. I've been on an inner journey as far back as I can remember, where I have been dedicated to my development and working on development for others. I write books, The Danish Way of Parenting, which is translated into 32 languages, co-written with Jessica Alexander. And I just launched my book about teenagers, Danish Way of Raising Teens. And then I facilitate workshops on empathy and how it can be implemented in schools worldwide and around parenting. So I'm very much interested in how I can contribute with love for the world. Yes, absolutely. And like you said, your original book was more about, would you say, the younger kiddos? And then this recent book, you're writing about teenagers. Yeah, exactly. The thing is where parents is more like a compelling read for parents and non-parents alike, which illustrates some essential parenting principles that have been working for people in Denmark for decades. It's built on the acronym PARENT, of which every letter points out some special areas. And those letters I also use in my book about teens. And then I have add four more. So it's funny. I just had Mike Viking on the show who wrote the little book of Huga, and he has a recent book. I believe it's called My Huga Home, but he talks a lot about how Sweden, Denmark, I 
think specifically Denmark is considered to be the happiest country in the world and he works for the Happiness Institute. So I was talking to him a little bit more about happiness and how to apply that in our homes. But I want to talk about happiness with parenting because it seems like Danish parents just seem to get this right, maybe in ways that we're missing here in America. So why don't we go through that word parent and maybe just give some ideas. We'll go through each letter and then maybe briefly we can touch on the end on teenagers. But if we spell out the word parent for that letter P, you talk about play is essential for development and well-being. So what do you mean by play? I know you talk a lot about free play. Tell me more. As defined in my book, The Dane's Way of Parenting, it says play helps children develop many essential life skills. Resilience, coping skills, negotiation, and self-control are just a few of the valuable lessons learned in unstructured play, as well as stress management skills, which lowers our children's chances of struggling with anxiety as an adult. So there are a lot of really huge benefits in playing. And in Denmark, that has been an integral part Part of the pedagogical system we have here uh, for many, many years. So you see it in kindergarten approach that teachers have here for the kids. And in school and in many, many places, play is fundamental, a part of the education system. Why is free play different? I would assume that it means less micromanaging of their actual activities and their behaviors. Free play is different from structured or organized play because there's no fixed manual or there's no specific goal. So in free play, you allow the child to just explore and delve into the fantasy world by themselves. It is extremely important that we remember to combine. Today, there's a lot of stress and hectic lives as well for our children, and we put them in a lot of structured play dates after school, but they need the time to digest what they're learning as well. And they actually use the time playing alone to digest and to adopt things into their own. So we can teach them a lot, but it will still be our interpretation of what we want them to learn. If we want them to make it their own, they need the time to just be around themselves, using their imagination, see what comes up, because it fosters their creativity and imagination. And actually, they are practicing life skills as well, all the time when playing freely. So we can't just have one kind of play. Children need the free play to develop as whole human beings. I think that probably leads to a lot more independence in the adolescents and teenagers, which I'm curious to see because you just wrote this book on teenagers. I'm wondering if there is a correlation between how much free play, independent play that we give our children and them feeling confident in those teenage years. Is the research showing that? Definitely. That is one of the main arguments that I have because my teen book is also built on the same acronym. I just put the letters into a new context with teenagers. And one thing that Danes are known for is how independent we raise our children and not independent in a sense that we are not around them and we don't support them, but that they have like a solid inner foundation to stand on. And that is because one particular theory that I lean on very much is Lev Vygotsky, the zone of proximal development. 
which is like a tip for us as parents on how we can help our children to develop in a way where we push them into their next zone of development. It's like when you have a baby and the baby starts crawling and from crawling to standing up and then walking. So that is the best picture of how the zone of proximal development works. And the same goes with our emotions. So if we are good at embracing all kinds of emotions, we also help our children to embrace their own emotions, put words on them, conceptualize what they're feeling and help them to express that. And that goes along with them all the way when they become teenagers. They will know why they're feeling this way. They will put words on that. They will talk with friends about it or us as parents. So the foundation that we create learning not supporting them in the zone of proximal development because they get a lot of free play here will follow them into the teen years because they will then believe in themselves. They have tested their own boundaries and they have been growing physically, mentally, because they believe in themselves as we have believed in them too. So we've somewhat touched on this with the independence, but your next letter in that parent acronym is A, and you say authenticity fosters trust and an inner compass. So again, I'm assuming that that independent play is really important to help navigating that inner compass. So can you talk a little bit more about that? The inner compass is built on if you're not allowed to explore the world yourself when you're a child, you won't trust in your inner compass because you have someone else to take away all the stones on the way. So when you climb a tree, and you experience that you have an agency of your own behavior, that I did it. You know, have you seen children when they do something that they didn't expect yeah. to do? They yeah. feel so happy, so accelerated. I did it. They're so proud because mm -hmm. they thought that they couldn't, and now they managed. And that gives them the inner strong compass that they are capable of doing things by themselves. And that develops their self-esteem, which they can bring with them all their life. And if we trust in them, for me, trust is one of the most crucial principles between our children and us, because if there's no trust, it can have some negative consequences. And I believe that Danes, we have a strong understanding that trust must be mutual. So we trust our child to go out in the world, out in our garden, in a living room, wherever it is, but we trust in them. We believe that if they get the time and space to do it in their own pace, they will manage, they will succeed. And that success will help them believe in themselves. And then they will know when we trust in them and then they will trust in themselves. And I think on the flip side of that, when they are having those setbacks and when they aren't succeeding, maybe when they're little, if we help by the next letter R, reframing, if we help to reframe and help them to cope with those setbacks and look on that bright side, again, it's helping build that endurance and that perseverance that they can take into the next stage of mm -hmm. adolescence and childhood. Yeah, reframing, it is very unknown word that Danes do a lot of, most of the time. For me, it means to change an imagined or emotional viewpoint about how a situation is experienced and view it differently. And it's not the same as I don't acknowledge that you feel this is difficult or 
you feel sad because I do believe that all emotions are valid, but it's about redefining those negative or inhibitory beliefs, changing them into something positive and supportive status because it is like the flower that we give some water and sun and it grows. And if we have all those negative beliefs in ourselves or as mothers or fathers, we will pass them on to our children as well. I mean, what we nurture in our kids will grow. So if we're nurturing kids that are fearful, if we're nurturing those seeds that you're talking about, that's what's going to come out of that. A fearful teenager, a fearful adult that maybe doesn't take risks and doesn't know how to navigate that inner compass. And I think most of us have that to a point. We just might shut it out and not lean on it. It's your conscience. I call it women's intuition for me. Mm -hmm. Again, we're all different. So we want to help navigate that, but also allow them to hear that own voice themselves and not just have our voice in their heads all day. I so much agree. I mean, we feel what we think. And I do believe that if we hold on to the good in people and in our children and separate the actions from the person, from them, we teach our children that we forgive them when they themselves misbehave or do something that we don't appreciate. We should help the child to shift focus from what they think they can do to what they can do and ask questions to help them identify their emotions and help them identify their intentions as well because we often react Mm -hmm. to the concrete behavior but there's always an intention behind their behavior it's so sad because we miscommunicate them. We don't really understand what's going on. And we often don't put time aside because we might be a little stressed ourselves or we have an idea ourselves of what we want to end. And therefore, or we have concluded beforehand what's going on. So we don't really look for the intention behind their behavior, but that is where the truth or the gem Mm -hmm. or the starting point is to be found. If we start to really remember to find or to look for the intention behind the conversation or the discussion or the meltdown or whatever occurs will change immediately. The response from your child will change immediately because they will experience that you connect with them on a deeper level, more heart to heart and with an understanding and empathy that will help them put their guards down and yours as well. Definitely, which I feel like we keep leading into the next letter of the parent acronym, but the next one is is E for parent. And that says empathy allows us to act with kindness towards others. I just believe that parents, we have a big responsibility because we are the primary example of empathy and must practice being empathic ourselves. This can be done with our use of language, our behavior and actions. And I think it's so important because children will constantly be focused on us and will mirror us. And therefore, what they experience at home will be crucial for their empathy development. All right, let's go into the next letter. And that is N. And you say no ultimatums means no power struggles, lines in the sand or resentment. And I feel like with my three kids, especially with my three-year-old right now, Mm -hmm. there is that power struggle as he is, again, trying to find his own independence. Then I'm reactive and it's hard to stick to that. So do you have any advice on Mm -hmm. how we can offer no ultimatums and what does that look like in practice? I mean, children who feel respected and understood and in turn 
who are helped to understand and respect rules develop a much stronger sense of self-control and ultimately grow up to be happier, more emotionally stable adults. The main point for me is that our struggles, which is often followed with ultimatums, can lead us to lose our temper. When we use ultimatums, there are no returns. We have to follow up on that. I haven't really met a lot of parents who follow up. They always like forget that they throw this ultimatum and then they forget all about it. Yeah, but- that's part. And if you don't follow through, then your kids just start doubting you. And then there's even more of a power struggle because they don't trust you either way. Exactly. So if you feel yourself close to exploding or yelling, go into another room and give yourself a timeout somehow. If you can pass the baton to your partner, do it. Try to be aligned in your values. For example, no hitting and yelling and always form a strong front of what you don't want your kids to be doing, but in a respectful way. I believe that an alliance is crucial. Uh So to give you an example, hitting or biting others is unacceptable. And in those cases, we should be firm and hold them and tell them no forcefully and make them look at you, us, and give you an apology so they can learn. It depends on the age, but most often they do that when they're very little. So it's about like being clear in our framework, saying clear no, but still be caring. You can do that. Don't push your child away. Obviously, in Denmark, their kids are still misbehaving despite the happiness element. Kids are going to be kids. So taking that example with biting, Mm -hmm. my son is a biter. And typically, I'm like, okay, he doesn't have the words to communicate how he's feeling right now. He wanted something. He couldn't necessarily say it. But also, he's nearing four at this point. He's not closer to two. So we all need to figure out how to stop him from this behavior. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I have tried all the things. And I don't really know, is it just consistency and coming back to the same, no, I'm going to sit with you. We're going to not do this. Kids do grow out of that, obviously. But do you have any other advice on how to actually apply when it feels like it's failing, when I feel like this isn't working? So I would first look at the situations where he's doing it. Get an idea of, is it some specific situations where he might feel a little bit stressed or uncomfortable or insecure? I mean, he's two years old, but he can still sense the energy in a room. Maybe there's another child being pushy or whatever. Just look for the surroundings to begin with. Is it in specific situations? If it hasn't worked, whatever you have done so far, I would take him and I would walk a little bit away. And then I would calmly say to him, you're not allowed to bite. Okay. It's not good. So just let him know that this isn't okay. I still love you, but you can't do that. It's not allowed to bite. You must not bite. So I would help him to put words for what is going on in that specific situation. Come up with some examples. Do you feel angry or Help him to put words to what happened since he did that. Help him conceptualize some words. Help him give him words he can use in those situations because I'm sure he doesn't know anything about what's going on right there and why he reacts as he does. But I'm sure that it's not something that he enjoys, but he gets your attention. So he will get attention from you and that attention is what you're going to look for. Mm-hmm. he's still too little to express what is going on within him. 
I mean, he's only three, four years old, so of course he can say, Mom, I do believe that right now you're putting too much awareness to my <laughs> other siblings, and I really need to connect with you, you know. Of course, he can do that. So yeah. I would definitely try to understand his need behind this behavior. I will say to anyone listening that does have really young kids, I'm talking infants, one, little two-year-olds. I think for so much of especially my third child's little life that I was dealing with the older two and I was putting more effort into the older two. And so I wouldn't address the moment by moment instances with Benjamin. And therefore, I think I have created bad habits with him. And I just think it goes to show how important it is to, even though it feels like it takes time that we have to step away in the moment, it's so worth creating that foundation in them because then you might not have to deal with these behaviors long-term. And I don't think that's prescriptive. It might be a generalization to say that, but I think had I had made more of an effort to stop cooking dinner or stop homeschooling or stop doing a chore and addressing his bad behaviors when they were all starting, that they wouldn't be as difficult to tame now. It's often like that. I mean, the first one you put a lot of effort into and then the last one that needs you more. Yeah. But what you can do is bring him along with you when you do your chores, because then he will feel that he's still meaningful in your life. Attention. Exactly. And it can be like really, really nice being around doing like ordinary chores together. Because it's not about whatever you're doing. It's more being together. Mm -hmm. And then he will also feel that he matters. Because, wow, thanks. It's so nice for me that we're doing this together. I love doing all these things with you. That can really fill him up in a positive way. All right. Well, let's get to the last one. And that is togetherness is a way to celebrate family time on special occasions and every day. And again, this is where that term huga maybe comes into play, fun, coziness that fosters closeness. So do you want to expand on that at all? The only thing that I really want to say is that I wrote about it in my first book. So the funny thing is that it was actually when the Danish way of parenting was launched, that the word hygge became well-known phenomenon. And so many books have been written after this specific time then, which I'm very proud of. But what is especially important for me is that being connected and having those moments are something that we must always prioritize because it's so easy in this very hectic and also uncertain life we are living today and also for our children they pick up so much bad stuff and news from everywhere that you create moments of hygge with your children and as a whole family as well because that is really where your hearts connect and creating a safe space at home with a lot of hygge where everyone feels safe is a tremendous gift that you can give your family because if you can't really relax and connect with your children or your parents where else should you really be able to do it so for me and moments where you take down your guards and you stay authentic and show your children as well your authentic self makes it possible to like truly connect and they will also know that yeah this is a safe place for me and I am loved 
for whom I am. That just goes along with a lot of hygge and moments together. And you don't really have to do a lot. It's not like creating a special atmosphere. The atmosphere arises itself when you all decide to be fully present. Absolutely. Well, where can listeners find or connect with you? Grab a copy of this book if they want to dive deeper into parenting the Danish way. Well, first of all, they can find me. I have a website. It's called edensendale.com. I also have a membership called the Danish Parenting Club. And actually, I also have a podcast series called House Motherhood, which I believe can be found everywhere. And then you can find me on Instagram, The Danish Way, where I post every day something about parenting. And my books, The Danish Way of Parenting and The Danish Way of Raising Teens, which has just been launched, you can find in all online shops and in all physical shops in the UK. Well, I really appreciate you joining me today and sharing some of these tips with us. I know that listeners will be grateful that you joined me. So thanks again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you inviting me and I really wish you all the best. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.